It's Golden Hour Adventure Time, featuring everyday people doing extraordinary things. From the peaks of victory to the valleys of defeat, these are their stories. Now, from the back of the pack, your hosts, Justin and Robbie. Welcome to the Golden Hour Adventure Podcast. Today we have Gary Weaver. Gary is a massive hunter. He's hunted all over the U.S. He now resides in Anchorage, Alaska, where he is taken to the skies when it comes to hunting. He's gone all over Alaska and hunted every animal that you can think of, but he's also recently become an ultra runner. So uh, if you remember, or if you've listened to the Salty Hunter podcast, you might've heard me on there before. So uh, now I just think that we just repay the favor and have Gary on the, our podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Gary. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's it's weird being on this side of the microphone. <laughs> you didn't have to like take notes or do anything, did you? No, no. <laughs> we don't take notes either, so it's fine. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself, man. Like, how did you uh, like? Let, let's just start from like you were born. Where when did hunting start? Pretty much. Well, I was born born in North Carolina, and. I guess hunting started super, super early. I remember tromping around in the woods with my dad with my Red Rider BB gun. I don't know. Had to be four or five years old. Uh, From there, it just went to small game hunting, squirrels, and dove. Dove season's really big in in North Carolina. So, so squirrels and doves, and then escalated to whitetail deer and did that through high school and college um but i really got bit by the fishing bug in college so uh i got a background in marine biology and i went to east carolina university just hung out on the coast and did all all sorts of fishing out there and then that kind of just that kind of led me to alaska and then whenever i got to alaska that's whenever the hunting bug bit me again uh i'd never done you know western style hunting the spot and stalks big big mountains backpack style hunting i'd never did that so that's whenever whenever i got to alaska that's what i jumped into and uh it's kind of consumed me ever since yeah hey you mentioned squirrel hunting and it just kind of popped in my brain like when I lived in South Dakota and I'm sure probably even here in Alaska, people don't really understand squirrel hunting or eating squirrels. <laughs> they, don't, a, they don't do. I got, like, all right. If I you're not from the South, like squirrel hunting is just kind of like a, it's a weird thing. And I get it. Like they're just little rodents and the people are like, how do you eat those? But they're, they're good. I get, yeah. And I, I got a funny story about that. So I met my wife while training for my first job in Alaska. We met in Seattle and, you know, I, I moved to Alaska, like started living and working up here. And while we were dating, you know, we got to talking about hunting. And I, <laughs> I asked her, I said, so uh, do you guys have a squirrel season up here? <laughs> and she looked at me like I was crazy. She said, uh, yeah, but why would you, why would you kill a squirrel? Like we have moose, caribou, bears, goats, sheep. Why would you kill a squirrel? And uh, I said, well, you know, squirrels are delicious. I love eating squirrels. So she didn't understand it until she went back to North Carolina with me. And then she saw the size of the squirrels in North Carolina. 
she and then she understood like the squirrels in north carolina in the south would probably eat the squirrels that live in alaska they're yeah. huge in comparison yeah we just had those like i grew up in east texas the piney woods of east texas and we just had massive squirrels <laughs> it's, uh, it's just Dude, funny like you huge. see these little chipmunks that are running around here <laughs> it's like yeah that would take a hundred of them to eat i mean it still takes a hundred of them to you know eat anyways but i don't know i just there's that kind of popped in my mind it just people are like you eat those things oh yeah they're they're <laughs> they're awesome i don't know i remember going squirrel well, too but in the winter in the winter time a lot of a lot of the hunting slows down unless you got like a late season tag and whenever the snow hits there's really not much else to hunt but except for upland birds we got you know grouse spruce grouse rough grouse uh out, right outside of anchorage and there's always squirrels where you find grouse so it's not uncommon for me to come home after just tromping around in the woods in the winter with a few grouse and a few squirrels and my wife just kind of rolls her eyes but i still <laughs> eat them they're delicious <laughs> funny it's awesome how long have you been in alaska um 2014 was my yeah my first year up here so eight years nice yeah so how did how did you decide to move from north carolina to alaska that's kind of a that's an odd one well actually i moved to alaska from florida i was living outside of tampa so when i was uh when i was a kid my dad's youngest brother, my, so my, my uncle was in the coast guard and we would visit him, you know, once a year or so, but for the first few years that he was in the coast guard, he was stationed in Kodiak. So I never, I never really knew him my first few years of, you know, remembering who he was. Um, but whenever, like the older I got, the more I got to know him and he would show me his pictures, uh, from Kodiak Island and i knew from a very early age that i at least wanted to go to alaska everybody had great things to say about it and then of course i was that guy that like nerded out watching deadliest catch and alaska state troopers and you know alaska the last frontier like all these all these reality shows about alaska and i just wanted to go it seemed like there was one on every channel <laughs> yeah every and network had an alaska show yeah, they were super intriguing for sure so I, I knew I was going to come at some point in my life. I just decided to, and rather than visiting on a vacation, I decided to work up here. Um, and it worked out in my favor because as soon as I stepped off the airplane, I knew, I knew I wasn't going to go back to Florida and I knew I wasn't going to go back to North Carolina, not anytime soon. It just consumed me. Yeah, that's cool, man. Did uh were you in the military? I was, yeah. I did five years in the army. Okay, yeah. I thought I remember hearing on your podcast that there that you were in the army. I just couldn't remember. Or in the military in general, I couldn't remember if you're in the army. So where uh where all were you stationed? Uh my first duty station was Fort Benning, Georgia. I was with Third Ranger Battalion. And then uh I requested to come up to Fort Richardson, which is right outside of Anchorage. And this is after I had already worked and lived in Alaska. So 
I was very happy whenever the army approved my request to move to Fort Richardson. So, uh, I guess the timeline would go that I lived and worked up here in Alaska in fisheries for a year. The work kind of dried up and it was very, very seasonal. And uh, I wanted something more permanent, but I also wanted to serve in the military in some capacity. So that's whenever I decided to join the army. Uh, I tried out for third ranger battalion, got selected. Uh, And they, third ranger battalion is in Fort Benning, Georgia. So I was stationed there for about a year and then requested to come back to Fort Richardson. Um, and then I finished out my, my time for the next three years and change, uh, up here at Fort Richardson. What years was that? See, I enlisted in 2015 and I got out in December of 19. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. I was, um, I was there. I was at, uh, on the Elmendorf side, which is Richardson and Elmendorf are attached to each other. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's now a joint base. It, it wasn't joint base when I was there, but now it is joint base. But, um, but yeah, I was there from 2008 to 2012. Oh, it's so. a fantastic spot. I mean, you're right here in Anchorage. You got, you know, they got the two guys mountains right out your back door. Yeah. I, I would take uh, Fort Richardson over Fort Wainwright any day yeah i you know i hear i honestly hear good things about both and i've been to fort wainwright and it's a beautiful base but yeah i don't know they're they both had their have their perks <laughs> yeah yeah for sure so you got back up here finally um mm-hmm. what kind of what kind of job did you did you take to come back up here well after getting out of the military um uh, I worked for two years at UPS doing weight and balance for the 747s. And then I got hired on with uh, Anchorage Fire Department at the beginning of 2022. So that's what I currently do. Oh, nice, man. Fellow firefighter. That's awesome. How do you like it? I love it. The job's awesome. Did you have to, I'm assuming you had to go through their academy and. Yep. So they have, they had an eight week academy starting mid-January, then an EMT refresher, and then I started working on the line uh, third week of March. Cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So so you're back in Alaska. You're, you know, Mm -hmm. you're you're fresh on a new job. What what did you first hunt? What was your what was your drive? You like, I'm I'm back in Alaska. This is what I'm going after. Oh, man. That would, I think, I guess that goes back to whenever I was still active duty. Um, my first big quote unquote, big backpack hunt. Um, I did it the summer I got back from Afghanistan. So this would have been August of 18. I drew a caribou tag and uh, a friend of mine and I, we loaded up backpacks and we rode bikes into a non-motorized area uh we spent four yeah four days chasing caribou now that hunt rapidly turned into a grizzly hunt because alaska department of fish and game they have the authority and the power to shut down any hunt based on uh 
based on her numbers, based on her dynamics. So uh, Alaska State Trooper was driving down the highway and he stopped off while we were, you know, trying to glass up animals. And he told us that the hunt was shutting down at midnight. Well, there were no caribou in sight. So we had actually been watching four grizzlies down in the valley below us. So we decided to turn into a grizzly hunt, um, put a stalk on a grizzly. I, I didn't get as close as I wanted to. Plus the brush was about up to my eyeballs. So no clear <laughs> shot. And then what really, what really got my heart going was while we're putting a stalk on this grizzly, we knew other grizzlies were in the area. However, we didn't really know how close they were to us whenever we got down into the valley. Another grizzly that we didn't see was probably 30 yards to our left and just blew out of the bushes whenever we got, you know, we were 30 yards from him, just blew out of the bushes and ran past us. So now I'm staring at the grizzly that I was going to shoot at. Another one runs 30 yards past me and they, both of those bears just disappear and we never saw them again. But right after that, that's where I knew like, okay, this, after that experience, getting my heart rate going like that, I knew that's where I needed to be. That's I knew that's what I wanted to do. Is is that common nature for a bear to run away from you rather than maybe like coming at you and charging you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Bears don't want anything to do with people. Oh, okay. They had this really bad stigma of, of hunting people down. That's not the case. Um, all the bear attacks that I've heard of, you're either surprising the bear, it's covering a it's covering or protecting a kill, or they're protecting cubs. Yeah, it's just you know sometimes you, if you're out in the nature, if you're out in nature, then you you know you, when you if you surprise a bear when you're covering a trail, then you know that's mm-hmm. I don't know that's that's <laughs> that's honestly my fear when I'm out here. I'm just like man, these things are monsters, and I don't know, everyone tells me it's like. Bro, the chances of you actually seeing a bear when you're out running is pretty slim because they can hear you coming, especially because I'm a hard breather. So they're like, you, they can oh, hear yeah. you coming from a long ways away. So I don't know, yeah, but it's I'm, still, I'm it's still a fear. going down the trail. Here comes Justin. Of, uh, yeah, yeah. I switched out one of my water bottles, my soft flask for a bear spray. So at least if something does happen, I, you know, have a little bit of protection, but so did you did you end up going back out for another bear hunt? I've been out on several bear hunts, but I haven't targeted grizzlies since then. The brown bears and grizzlies are kind of uh opportunistic. That particular unit I was hunting in, you don't need a special tag to shoot one. There's actually so many of them that the Department of Fish and Game will, is asking people to shoot them. Um, so that it's kind of an opportunistic thing. Uh, I, I'll see them all the time, off in the distance. Uh, and there's some places that you do need a special tag. I mean, Alaska's just, Alaska's broken up into 26 different game management units, and each one of them has different rules. So it really depends on what part of the state you're going to. Yeah. Um, I would say that I, I I keep a brown bear tag in my pocket, um, basically at any and all times that there there's an open season for them. 
Define what a brown bear, a difference between a brown bear and a grizzly bear. Oh, so that's, that's <laughs> can anyone define that? Well, <laughs> it, it depends on what you look at. So if you go by like, so my personal definition, and this is something that people tend to agree with just based on how simplistic it is. If, if a bear has access to salmon, it is a brown bear. Cause you'll hear about coastal brown bears, Kodiak brown bears, uh, the giant brown bears out on, uh, out in Unicleet and Unimac Island. All those bears have access to fish. Now, that being said, there's brown bears, or there's grizzly bears that are way in interior Alaska that get fish on the Yukon River. Mm. So that's why it's really hard to delineate between an interior grizzly and a coastal brown bear, because if you just say, well, they have access to fish, well, what about the bear that's 400 miles up the Yukon in interior Alaska? Is that a brown bear? Like, no, that's an interior grizzly. So in general, I think if you're within 100 miles of the coast, you got access to fish, you're a brown bear. Everything else is an interior grizzly. But then if you look at like the Boone and Crockett definitions versus the SCI definitions versus the Pope and Young definitions, if you're, if you're a trophy hunter and that's what you're going after, then they actually have uh, different latitude and longitude uh, geographic areas laid out for what is the definition between a grizzly and a brown bear. Oh, wow. So they've actually broke it down like by, you know, where where you're at where you're standing when you shoot the bear, depending on whether it's a brown or a grizzly, huh? Yeah, exactly. Hmm. And so brown bears are, I, I would assume that they're bigger than a grizzly bear because they have access to a lot of that protein. Yeah, exactly. And the fish will be running throughout, like in Kodiak, the there's a silver, silver salmon run that happens through October, whereas the silver salmon that run up the Kenai River are mostly done you know, by the first, second week of October, but on oh, okay. Kodiak, they have salmon basically into the first week of November. So that's why they get so much larger. Plus the, the Kodiak brown bear genetically is different from other coastal brown bears. So that's why they also get bigger. Oh, wow. I wasn't aware yeah. of that. Yeah. You always see the pictures of like Katmai national park, the, the brown bears just catching fish out of the out of the rivers and every single one of them are humongous <laughs> oh yeah so you see this poster right behind me here okay uh, yeah. that's that's from cat my my wife and i took a trip out there a few years ago uh and we happened to be there after so we backpacked around the valley of Ten Thousand smokes and then we went back into camp camp brooks go up to brooks falls and that's where all the pictures of the the bears catching the the salmon coming up the waterfall are and uh, we were there for the first big push of salmon to get there. So at one point, we're looking at like 35 bears within a quarter mile of us. Insane. Well, and out of Katmai, they have these like viewing platforms. Those bears don't care about people. They're one step above zoo animals. There's so <laughs> many people out there every year. And plus, there's so many fish. They don't care about anything else. They, they truly don't care about anything else. There's, and those giant, giant bears that you see will just sit at the bottom of the falls and the fish literally will like swim into their lap. <laughs> it's, it's incredible to watch. 
if you've never been to Alaska and experienced a fish run, you, you wouldn't understand it, but I've, I mean, I'd be out there fishing and they, they would just hit you in the leg. There's just so many of them. The water is just red from, from salmon running up. And it's just, mm -hmm. it's hard to explain to someone who's never been out, but the, the runs, I would remember that we would get on the website and look and see that there was 200,000 fish that ran that one day. And it's just like, that's hard to, you know, it's hard to, to imagine 200,000 fish one day. You would think that that would be the entire, the entire run, but that was one day. And it's just like, God, I can't, I can't believe it. You know, it's, it's hard to fathom that that many fish are running up and that and there's multiple days, weeks of that. So, Oh yeah. And then they get, and then the spot where you go to fish them, you know, right before that, they have it cut off, um, where at least where I fished and, you know, you just see a sea of red and it's in a, you know, of course it's in a river, but it's phenomenal amounts of fish and it's an incredible sight to see. Yeah. And those 200,000 fish you're talking about, they had these markers that uh will count the fish that go that swim past it so what a lot of people don't realize like oh man yeah two hundred thousand fish that's a lot of fish no that's that's a fraction of the fish that's the fish that made it past all the guys fishing all the bears all the commercial fishermen right offshore yeah that's just what what passed everybody else so there's several million fish that are being caught prior to those two hundred thousand that are making it up the river yeah and that and that doesn't you know, account probably for how many fish are missed by the trackers as well. So yeah, exactly, you know, who knows how many fish are missed by the trackers, but I don't know. It's, it, it's a pretty phenomenal thing to see. I think, uh, Robbie is going to be up here early June. So I think he'll be able to see one of the runs. So we're hoping to go down there for one of the, runs. the first, yeah, the first push of reds will happen hopefully while he's here. Yeah. So there you go, Robbie. You might get to experience it. <laughs> Sweet. I'm excited. Well, if nothing else, you'll experience 18 hours of daylight, 19 hours of daylight. <laughs> That'll be eight, something to experience. And 18 million mosquitoes. Yeah, it's a state bird. <laughs> <laughs> they might carry you away. <laughs> so what other kind of big hunts have you been on? We talked about a little bit about bear. Have you uh well, did you ever connect on any type of bear or black bear or <laughs> Yep. I've, I've killed one black bear. I did it with my recurve bow. Awesome. And it was, it was actually over a bear bait. Um, I have no issues saying that out loud. Some people frown upon it, but I can promise you it's more freaking work than people <laughs> think setting up a bear bait. Um, and as far as like big backpacking hunts, uh, I haven't been on too many that have been more than a couple of days here and there just due to do the nature of work and everything. Um, but everything in Alaska, I would say is probably a, a big undertaking. Even your, even my, my three day, uh, sheep hunt I tried last year. Notice I said I tried, uh, <laughs> it just takes a long, long time to get places. And if you don't have certain ways to access parts of the state uh, you need time time is the number one thing that limits you to hunting in alaska yeah you hear all these uh people that go back for sheep 10 12 day sheep hunts and that's you know that's just crazy to me that you'd be back there for 12 days on a sheep hunt because i'm used to oh, well, you know I, just like you i grew up 
in the south we hunted out of tree stands and so you're there for a couple hours and you get out and you go home yeah. i just can't imagine being out in the woods for you know 12 days but it, it, it's got to be just an experience for sure yeah i've taken several long backpacking trips with my wife uh but as far as backpack hunting is that's something that's i've set aside for 2023 uh i will be doing uh a long backpack hunt in 2023 it's undecided where at this point but it's going to be at least 12 days awesome do you have a, a specific species in mind everything depends on what i draw okay. so uh in february the draw tags get announced so if i draw something then that's really going to determine what i'm chasing and where i go got you got you but in general in general i would love to go on a yeah 12 or 14 day sheep hunt nice so you mentioned so you is that what your you're wife. hoping you get drawn for say again is that what you're hoping you get drawn for as a sheep oh everybody wants to draw sheep <laughs> which sheep Doll sheep. Doll, doll sheep yeah what's cool about alaska is that as a resident i get a harvest ticket so i can go chase a sheep and and to the general open areas again you got to have access and you got to have time so i could hunt a sheep every single year it's just going to take you a hell of a long time to get there what elevation do these sheep live at depends on the mountain range okay so in the chugach mountains right outside of anchorage i've seen sheep as low as a thousand feet up to five thousand feet uh in the alaska range i've seen sheep anywhere from three to forty five hundred feet so it, it depends on the mountain range oh interesting yeah they, they follow the food just like any other mammal so and what's crazy about Alaska is most people think like, oh, you have mountains, so you're higher up. No, we're pretty, a lot of like where I live and where you live, we live at sea level. So when you're saying that they're 4,500 feet up, you have to climb 4,500 feet to get to them. And yeah. there's no, there's no trails. You're, you know, trompsing through the middle of nothing. Most of the time through the, yeah, you know, alders the that, <laughs> you, yeah, you break your home. Dude, like I said, like I said on that grizzly hunt, man, the alders were up to my eyeballs and I'm not exaggerating. I'm six two. And the alders were, you know, constantly at my chin or eye level and you're bushwhacking through them. So it's <laughs> and then have a bear run out. Oh my gosh. I would have died yeah. right there. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned you, you and your wife have gone on a couple. Oh, I'm sorry, Robbie, I keep cutting you off. What do you say? That's all right. I was asking, have you eaten any uh grizzly bear or brown bear? I have not. Uh, no, I haven't. However, I wouldn't hesitate to do it. I think people give uh, give bears a bad rap in general. Black bear is one of the best meats I've ever had, and I that had in, some this summer and it was delicious. Yeah, and that that includes. I would rate, I would rate uh, bear meat over definitely over caribou over goat. I mean, hell, I think I like bear meat better than I like sheep meat. I've I've had some sheep meat given to me. Um, it's it's incredible. Now, where it gets a bad rap is people will shoot bears in the late summer after the fish have been running. And yeah, I mean, the bears are going to taste fishy. 
I mean, that, that they are, but after the fish are done running, the bears will actually go up into the alpine. They just gorge themselves on berries. So get a late fall bear. That's, that's the good sweet meat too. Yeah. That race that we went to, um, in July, Robbie and I went out there and paced on a hundred miler. And at the end of the race they had a big barbecue and this is in Montana, you know, in the middle of nothing, Montana, mind you. <laughs> and they brought out a crock pot that said bear sliders. And I just thought that like, Oh, okay. It's a play on words. You know, we're in Montana bear sliders. No, it was actual bear. And it was a, it was a berry bear. The meat was blue. I didn't believe it, but it was actually blue. You hear about it, you know, you're like, oh, the meat, it turns it blue. And I'm like, okay, oh, sure. It was, it was, it was, it was blue. And then they had a yep. uh, mountain lion chili, which was very interesting. So uh, it was just kind of cool to see, you know, the true Montana-ness from that race. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I were to name one animal that I want to hunt, just to try it and eat it, it'd be a mountain lion. That was the first time I've ever eaten it, um, and it was phenomenal. I mean, they had it in a chili, so it wasn't just you're not you're not eating like a steak or anything like that. But I I loved every bit of it. It did definitely had a a taste to it. I think Robbie was yeah. the first one that tried it. Yeah, it tastes like something that kills other animals. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard it's delicious though. Yeah, I I I think that when I was in South Dakota at the fire station, they had a couple steaks here and there. And I may have tried some from somebody, cut a little piece off, and I just couldn't remember. But that was the first time that I had a bowl of mountain lion chili, and it was good, and I liked it. But, yeah, it definitely had a, a taste to it for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's probably top of my list of things I haven't tried that I want to. Definitely. So you mentioned you and your wife did a couple of uh, like long backpacking trips. Where all have you gone? So the most memorable one, and this I always come back to telling stories about this one, uh, was in Katmai National Park. One, it's it takes a hell of a long time to get there, even from Anchorage. You got to hop on a flight to King Salmon, then from King Salmon you got to hop on a plane that takes you out to Lake Brooks. Lake Brooks, you get to Camp Brooks, and then Camp Brooks. You, you can walk, but we chose to take a shuttle 20 miles from the camp on the dirt road, uh, and three river crossings. They got this bus. It's like a, it's a full size bus and they got it jacked up on big tires and you got to cross these three rivers. It's kind of <laughs> sketchy. Does uh, the bus move at all when you go through the rivers? I mean, probably not, but in my mind it was, we were drifting down river. <laughs> So <laughs> we're in the back jumping up and down. <laughs> uh, I was, I was like on the near side. So like I was on the side where the, the, the water was hitting. I'm just like constantly staring at the window, just waiting on this thing to start tilting. I don't know. It was wound up being fine, but the first river crossing you get to, you're like, I don't know how this is going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like those bus drivers that drive on those big cliffs, you know, they do it every single day. But if you're out there, you're just like, Oh, Oh yeah. 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 It's gotta be the same thing. Like that guy's done it a hundred times, but. Oh know. yeah. At least. And the bus is full of tourists. You know, we're, we were the only backpackers that they were taking out there, but you just, you pay a, a fee for a round trip, you yeah. know, and if you're going to be backpacking, you just tell them like, okay, well, we'll be back at the ranger station 
such and such date. So they drive you out to this ranger station, like a national park ranger station. And it's at the head of this valley and the valley is called the Valley of 10,000 Smokes. And that valley has a really unique history. It's the second largest eruption on the planet. The only other one that is in recorded history is Krakatoa. Uh, and this volcano went off, I want to say in 1912. And uh, this valley that you're now overlooking looks like a desert from all the volcanic ash that is still present. Wow. Yeah. So uh, from there, we struck out uh, from the ranger station with our backpacks and we, we, we hiked in 12 miles and set up a base camp. There's an old uh, USGS like set of cabins that are out there. And uh, we only use the cabins to, to cook and there's a little outhouse out there. Uh, we stayed in our tent and just kind of use that, usgs platform as our uh, our base camp and then we from there we just took day trips i mean we're you're walking out to a place called katmai pass from and then we hiked up one of the mountains right outside of katmai pass and from there you can see kodiak island you're looking across the shellacoff strait um and uh, just all the geologic features that are out there is, is are incredible. I forget how many days we backpacked. I want to say we were just kind of out there for five days. Wow. Uh, yeah, doing anywhere from six miles out, six miles, like, you know, 12, uh, yeah, probably eight to 10, maybe 12 miles per day, just kind of striking out and looking at all these different features that are out there. And then it was 12 miles back to the ranger station. What made that really interesting were the river crossings that you got to you got to go through. Um, like I said, that valley is all volcanic ash, so the rivers cut these slot canyons into in, into the valley. And if you don't know what a slot canyon is, it's a super narrow stream that cuts a canyon into a feature like a rock rock feature or ash like we were on or sandstone or something and it's not very wide but it could be there's spots in some of those slot canyons are like 80 feet deep yeah so again the river crossings are what really made that adventure hectic or scary i guess because you're you're crossing these streams and you can't see anything it is so silty and you know there's rumors of almost like quicksand features out there that people get stuck in that's i mean it can it could be you know a, a little dangerous i guess but it kind of adds to the adventure yeah that's super cool so you guys uh you you camped like right beside the cabins are you camped in the cabins or yeah we spent one night in the cabins. We had this really bad windstorm come up. Like the sun was shining. It was bluebird days, and it was probably 85 degrees out there. But we had this gnarly wind come up, and it almost, you know, it almost took our tent away. Wow. So we decided to pack the tent up and just spend one night in the cabins. And hiked. actually, the next day is whenever we hiked out. How far, how far was the cabin from the ranger station you guys were at? It was 12, 12 miles. So if you guys got in a bind, you were out there, legit out there. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, the only other way people get in there is flying, but it, you know, if something happened to us and then that windstorm hit, people aren't going to be able to fly out there. Not in those small aircraft. That wind was howling. Yeah. So I would imagine that the, the memories and, you know, the pictures that you guys got, like those are, you know, forever. It's, it, I can't imagine oh. like something like that. That's just, especially spending it with your lot, with your wife, you know, it's like, those are things you'll cherish for forever, you know? Yeah. And that particular trip, I had just gotten back from Afghanistan. So it was like our little getaway from me being gone for the last nine months. So yeah, that made that trip especially special. For sure. For sure. Well, let's transition into uh, you becoming an ultra runner. So where did the, uh, where did the running journey start? So I'll start off by saying my ultra running resume is nowhere near as extensive as yours, <laughs> either one of you. Um, really what, what started it all was, so you're going through this selection process. I was going through RASP and you got to do these long movements with a bunch of weight on your back and yeah, you got to be strong, but you're an endurance athlete at that point. Is this for the firefighting test? No, this is to get into Ranger Battalion. Oh, okay. In the Army. So it's an eight-week selection process. And yeah, it's an ass kicker. I mean, it, it, it made me reconsider what I thought about being an endurance athlete, quote unquote, is. Um, but then after, you know, once you get into the unit, and you're in an infantry unit, you, you train the way they train, you train for the job. Uh, and there's the movements aren't as long. So you work on getting stronger, like you're in your quote unquote endurance goes up just based on how well you can recover from training. So once I was getting out of the military, I was pretty, pretty bulky. I was carrying around a lot of unnecessary muscle that I wasn't going to need outside of the military so i decided i was going to pick up running and just increase my endurance number one reason is because my wife is a freak of nature athlete she's a like phenomenal endurance athlete so i could not keep up with her in the mountains i knew <laughs> i wanted to go backpack hunting and i knew i wanted to do these long days in the field so i needed to get my endurance up so i picked up running at first and then kind of tapered off into just staying in shape well now i got nothing to train for I'm, I'm the guy that i can't train like i can't be fit just for the sake of being fit i don't it, for whatever reason that part doesn't click with me i gotta be training for something so whenever i decided to train for hunting uh that's whenever i picked up ultra running you got guys like cam haynes that guy is that guy's an inspiration to me quite frankly the guy's an ultra runner and backpack hunter and i started to see the similarities and what he does and the success that he has in the field and that's what i want to try to emulate you know i i want to speak i want to speak on him for a second i i thought that he was going to be and i've never really met a lot of celebrity style you know type people but you know you kind of get this persona in your mind that these guys are just kind of assholes like you know they don't they they do what they do yeah they're great at it but they don't want to talk to anybody you know maybe sign autographs for people but the race that Robbie and I were at he was also running 
um, the race and we saw him, I don't know what Robbie, every aid station we saw him cause our, our buddy was pretty much right behind him. And so yeah. we were always together, but he came in, you know, and it, when I would see him be like, you know, Hey, give her hell cam, you know, Hey, thanks. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, I didn't want to bother him during the race. Cause he's running his race. Let him do his thing, you know, and no one else was bothering him. You know, people may say like, you know, get her done or whatever, but at the end of the race, the guy had just finished and he got bombarded by people like immediately like finished, got his buckle and then got swarmed with people. And he sat there and he talked to every single person for as long as they wanted to talk. He signed all these autographs. He took all these pictures with every single person. I gave him some time. And then also I went out and did some fanboy stuff and got a picture and talked to him for a little bit, but I was just super impressed by, you know, like, you know what it feels like at the end of the ultra. Like you just want to, you want to just sit down and like relax and not talk to anybody and just kind of hang out and chill, but maybe <laughs> drink a beer, have a burger or something. But this guy talked to every single person that came through and he took a picture, he signed autographs. And I was just like, I was super surprised by that. And I don't know, like I've read all, I've read his books. I, you know, I've watched his podcast or listened to his podcast watched his movies, his shows, you know, his interviews and, you know, and you just kind of get this like, Oh, he's just this cocky guy, but I'm sure he still is cocky, but it just, it kind of blew me away that he, what, you know, with how he acted to all of his fans and, you know, especially in that moment, because, you know, no one wants to do that type of stuff. And I'm sure he didn't want to do it either, but I don't know. I was just very, very impressed on him. So I know he'll never listen to this, but if you are listening to cam, uh, I was I was always a fan, but I'm even more a fan now. <laughs> yeah, I, but that's not the first time I've heard somebody say that about him—that he actually takes time to to talk to people. And I doubt I'll ever get the chance to meet him. But I, you know, I, the message that I want to convey is whatever he is doing, it's working. And fuck everybody else. Like, don't worry about what they're thinking because he has exactly. success. He, like. He, say what you want the dude is a winner and yeah. i mean at the end of the day yeah he comes off cocky because he has a chip on his shoulder because all these other assholes are just are doubting anything and everything that he does yep so anyway that's i would say that he's probably the the guy that painted the picture of what uh, an endurance athlete becoming a hunter is or a hunter becoming an endurance athlete however you want to look at it he he painted the picture and i started to really notice the the success and i like his philosophy on the training i mean that's that's kind of and i don't want to turn this this whole podcast into the the cam haynes fanboy club but uh <laughs> that's all right <laughs> but i mean the the dude's mentality is is phenomenal and that that is probably what painted the picture the best for me so I would say that that's where it all kind of started. It started from, you know, him, like me watching a video of him finishing the Moab 240. It's like, what the hell is the Moab 240? And then I look into like, holy shit, these guys are running 250 miles. <laughs> it's called the 240, but it's like 240-ish, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it was like, well, man, like, I, I don't know, like, could I do that? I'm sure in some capacity I could, but who knows? And I told my wife one day, I said, you know, I think it'd be cool to run a hundred miles one day. I just think it'd be cool. 
And that was years ago. And I finally started acting on it, you know, in early 2022. And now I caught the bug and I'm just, you know, quote unquote running with it. How did you, how did, so you, you watch these videos, you get inspired. How, how does that transition to like, where did you go from there? Like you just laced up and went outside or like, where'd you go? How did, how did you, how did you start running? Well, so I, I guess, uh, I guess start ultra running start. Well, the ultra running started, I started training for my first ultra after sheep season of 2021. So 2021, I drew a sheep tag and, uh, there's a guy named Jason Hairston, uh, who started Kuyu and he was a co-founder of Sitka. He's, he's passed away now, but if you, if guys go on YouTube, uh, look up the Kuyu mountain Academy and just listen to Jason Harrison's presentation It's 48, 49 minutes. But a lot of it is based on getting your body ready to do a long backpack hunt and how he was training his body to do that. Well, okay. Uh, so I'd kind of combine that philosophy of being, you know, fat adapted, taking in less carbs and using that to increase your endurance. I coupled that with, uh, well, I need to be able to cover miles quickly. So that's whenever I decided like, okay, I need to talk to a coach. I'm a firm believer. If you want to do something right that you're unsure how to do hire a coach. Yeah. You know, and people say, well, I don't want to pay that much money. Well, how much are your goals worth to you? You know, how much are you willing to pay for success? Yeah. So that was my philosophy and it still is my philosophy. So that's whenever I started, I'm not really looking for an ultra coach, but I started looking and I was perusing Instagram and this guy called primal run coaching and this dude's running around in his three inch inseam shorts, Luna sandals, no shirt talking about being you know you know fat adapted this and carnivore that and let me see what this crazy guy's about so i hit him up uh his name's aaron stacy hell of a guy no bullshit coach and i'm sorry man can, we, can i cuss on this i didn't absolutely. even ask you absolutely <laughs> <Go> right ahead <laughs> okay <laughs> and i get all fired up and it just flies out so what year yeah. was this was this 21 that you reached out to this was this was 2021. So uh, this was July or late June of 2021. Okay. And my sheep tag was in October, the first week of October, 2021. So I had three months to get ready. So I hit up Aaron on Instagram. We, he's basically told me like, dude, give me a call. We'll talk what free, like free consult, no bullshit. And we had a conversation and by the end of that 20 minute conversation with him, I hired him and I told him like, my goal is to be a hell of a sheep hunter this year. You got three months, like I'll do anything and everything I can to get ready for the sheep hunt. But I got three months to get ready for this sheep hunt. And then right after that, I want to run an ultra marathon. And he said, all right, right on. Here's your, like, here's what we're going to do. So. I guess that's a long-winded way of saying I got into ultra running via sheep hunting uh, <laughs> and, and blending a couple of different philosophies and uh, all that culminated to 
me not being successful on my sheep hunt, but knowing that I was in more than enough shape to do it. And then a few months later, finishing my first ultra. Nice. How did the, how did, how was your fitness going into training with Aaron as opposed to what you got out of your sheep hunt? I mean, was it, was it beneficial hiring a coach to guide you in your sheep hunt? Do you think you could have done it yourself or? You say your sheep hunt wasn't successful, but we had a guy on the podcast just the other day that was talking about, yeah, he didn't pull the trigger on a sheep, but his hunt was successful. He was out in the woods for 10 days, you know, living in Alaska. And so, um, yeah, you didn't pull the trigger per se, but you know, you were out there, but what was your, what was the, your physical abilities? Were you able to just climb the mountains easy? Yeah. So, um, I was in the infantry in the army and people always ask me like, well, what did you, you know, what did you learn from the infantry? Well, I learned how to move heavy shit uphill. <laughs> I mean, that's what we did. Right. So <laughs> I mean, my backpacking fitness, you know, was probably, it, it, it was better whenever I was in the army because I'd already been out it for a, a year and a half at this point. Yeah. But I was strong enough to, I'm strong. I was strong enough to move whatever weight needed to be moved. So what Aaron did for me was he increased my baseline fitness, my baseline, um, endurance, just in the sense of being able to maintain a pace, maintain a heart rate going uphill. Like you're, I'm not going to climb a hundred feet up and then be gas. And I got to take a three minute break. Yeah. So he, he, he helped me in that department. I was already strong enough to move whatever weight I needed to, but he put everything into perspective as far as like picking a pace, uh, picking a cadence or picking a heart rate, like find something, a rate of perceived effort, find something like that and stick to it. And that's where he helped me in the first three months. And then after that hunt, I didn't have anything scheduled for the rest of the year. So then we started training for my first ultra. What did those first two weeks of uh, sheep hunting training look like? A lot of it was establishing a baseline. Um, we, Aaron's a big believer in uh, training specificity the closer you get towards your event. So me being three months out, we did a lot of running, a lot of running uphill uh, so the first two weeks was establishing a baseline, establishing a rate of perceived effort. I don't know how you guys train. I know, Justin, I know you got a running coach. A lot of guys you like to use heart rates. They use zone training. Uh, and Aaron likes to use rate of perceived effort. So once I had that baseline established, we use the rate of perceived effort scale. And I think you're seeing that a lot more in ultra running and trail running is a the rpe versus heart rate just because you're going to be out there for so long it's hard to go off your heart rate for training so i think that that's right. a common thing i think and plus someone's heart rate doesn't match their ability of their rpe they could have you know my heart rate you could have that's a super high vo2 max but you can't walk up a hill <laughs> right and that's where i was at whenever i got done with the army. Like my VO two max was 
super high. You know, I'm doing all these CrossFit workouts. I was pretty heavy into CrossFit whenever I was deployed because we didn't have a track to run on. Like I was just, you know, at these small little encampments, but we had kettlebells and a rowing machine, you know, so you can get a crazy good workout. Your VO2 max is through the roof, but you asked me to run a mile and a half. Fuck, man. <laughs> I mean, what, what people don't realize is running is, you know, all in, you know, you can't run zone four or zone five for hour after hour. It's not going to last very long. I mean, you only got 90 minutes of sugar in the first place. So really running is, you know, oxidative. You're more just using fat for fuel than anything. You're not using your sugar. Right. So yeah, it's a, and that's where I was, man. Like the first two weeks was building aerobic capacity. Uh, we did some anaerobic stuff. Like I'll never forget the first time he gave me this workout, man. There's this, there's this road called Arctic Valley road. And it, it's just a big wide open dirt road that leads up to a ski chalet up at the top. And it's a continuous up and up and up. I mean, I don't know what elevation you start at, you know, maybe a couple hundred feet, but you can easily, easily gain 2,500 feet, maybe even 3000. If you, if you kept going past the chalet and actually up the ski hill. But uh, one of the first, you know, within the first couple of weeks, the hardest workout that he gave me was, okay, you're going to run for an hour and you're going to maintain an RPE of five to six. Wow. But every, yeah, and this is all uphill, bear in mind. And yeah. He said every every five minutes for one minute, you're going to run at an eight to nine and you're going to do that for a minute. And I had, you know, however many sets of that and each week it increased. But the first time I did that, man, my, you get done, you take off jogging for your three to four, your, your RP three to four warm up for 10 minutes. And then you hit that first, that first one minute sprint uphill and now all of a sudden my RPE of five to six is like four to five steps every four to five seconds because you're just, you're gassed, you know, but that was, that was a hell of a way to establish an aerobic base. And that's what got my ass in shape quickly for this, for the sheep hunt. For sure, man, for sure. That's, that's hilarious i know what road you're talking about and that's not an easy road to, to run no, hell no it's not man it's not an easy road to drive up yeah <laughs> <laughs> so what uh you finished up your sheep hunt and then you're like all right let's let's do this ultra marathon thing what how did you decide which one you wanted to do and which which one did you do so the first one i did and technically it's the only official, you know, race ultra race that I've done was the, I did the little Sioux 50 K. I knew I wanted to do something that wasn't too long. I didn't want to, I didn't want to jump into like a hundred miler without trying a 50 miler first. I knew I didn't want to do a 50 miler without trying a 50 K. And you know what I had at, up until that point, the longest I'd ever run ever was like 14 and a half maybe 15 miles and that was you know that that had been several years prior so uh i decided on the little suit 50k 
quite frankly, because it's flat. There's not a lot of hills. I think over 50K, I only gained like, man, like 200 feet of elevation. Whoa. <laughs> but, the, you know, the, the trick to that one is that it's in February in Alaska. So it's not the elevation. It's not the course. It's the elements that are going to beat you up. Yeah. And you're not running on a road. Exactly. No, we were basically running on snow machine, a snow machine track. And it's not as bad as running on sand, but there is lost energy every single step. You know, the, your energy transfer through your step is diminished by the packed down snow. Yeah. So it's basically, you're basically running on a resistance track the whole time. <laughs> How far were your feet uh, going down in the snow, you know? No, it was it was always less than an inch. It was packed down really well, but uh -huh. still, I mean, yeah. you, you know, I I that day I took close to fifty thousand steps, you know, and and probably forty five thousand of them were during the run. So forty five thousand steps. If you're losing ten percent of your energy, that's a lot of energy lost. Yeah. What so, was um? What how well did you do in it? Is your first one well uh i set a goal for six hours i thought that would just be a very attainable goal given my fitness and given that i didn't uh, the weeks leading up to the race i actually was not training for the race at all um i was still training but not specifically for the race i that's whenever i got hired by the fire department so i was actually in the fire academy in the weeks leading up to the race oh wow yeah so I, I i'm not saying i went in under trained but i definitely was not to the peak physical ability that i wanted to be for the race yeah uh but i, I made it i made my goal i, I made it in five hours and 55 minutes wow, um nice. and this was really my first time uh, my first time running over a marathon, I decided before, right before the academy started, I wanted to run a marathon for training. And Aaron, you know, green lighted it and he, we structured, structured my training around that. And uh, <laughs> I did it on January 2nd. Oh and it, it was bluebird skies, but the wind was blowing 40. And I'm not <laughs> exaggerating. So it the wind chill was, I think, 13 below, 13, 15 below. And the wind was blowing 30, gusting 40 at times on the trail. But, I mean, I got my marathon in, and I felt very accomplished. And at that point, I figured I only had five more miles to go to finish a 50K. So that was a really good indicator as to where I was physically. Yeah. Uh, I mean, six hours, sub six on a 50K, that's that's very impressive. Actually, the conditions. Well, the conditions for the race were glorious, man. I ran the race in shorts. It was 34 degrees in sunshine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I guess that's Todd in Alaska in the winter, huh? Oh, yeah. Whenever you're like, – the few weeks leading up to it, it had been like 10 below. So it gets up to 34. You're like, oh, man. This... <laughs> I bet. Not quite t-shirts, but I, I'll run it in shorts. If it's above 20 degrees, I run in shorts. Oh, my gosh. Were you the only one in shorts out there or what? 
there was uh, one other guy that started the race in shorts and then another guy ran the race in like some rei zip off pants yeah and it, and he finished the race in shorts <laughs> so i know a lot of winter ultras they have uh you can also bike and ski is that the same with susitna yep so every it's a mass start doesn't matter what modality you're using everybody starts when the gun goes off so you got fat bikes skiers and runners all taking off at the exact same time the start line man i wish i'd filmed it because it is wild <laughs> i would i would equate it to one of those motocross like big motocross races where the gate drops all at once and everybody's banging into everybody else just trying to get ahead that's hilarious especially because oh, it's man. Like three different disciplines you got I would assume that your bikers are, you would think that your bikers would be up front, your skiers would be in the middle, and then your runners would be behind that, but it's probably not the case. It's probably just everyone just standing around, and then the gun goes oh, off. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what to do. Let me go. Yep, exactly. Oh, oh shit, I guess I got to run now. <laughs> Was there any other distances in that race? Yeah, so they do a 50K or a 100-miler, so there's okay. nothing in between. Uh, actually in 2023 i think they're going to add a 50 miler in there but um yeah you can either run ski or bike 50k or 100 miles i will say that i have had my eye on that one. Oh uh, yeah i want to do it uh, i won't be able to do it in 2023 but 2024 uh, i'm in for the 100 miler i haven't pulled the trigger yet but that might be <laughs> That might that might be. I was gonna do the Denali one thirty five, but I just I don't know. I have some reservations behind that one because you don't get any aid, you get no support, you get no post mill, pre mill, you get none of that, and it's five hundred bucks. So I'm like, the heck am I paying for? You yeah, know? probably road maintenance. Paid <laughs> <laughs> for a permit. <laughs> I'm paying for a $500 per. I don't know how much it costs, but I don't know. I have a lot of reservations. So I think I might just have fun this summer, not, not stress out about races. Well, and here's my thing about the ultra runs in Alaska. A lot of them are on established trails or dirt roads that you can just go do yourself. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not encouraging. I'm not trying to take away from, from anybody signing up for a race. I'm not, but I recently ran a 58 miler that typically is a, a 50 mile race done every year. I happen to be working that weekend, but it's a goal that I set for myself. So I just went and did it. That, that being said, I missed out on probably four aid stations as you know, as to where they would be in an actual race but um shit that just adds to the adventure it makes makes you plan everything yeah so yeah that's 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 kind of i wouldn't say that's the reason i want to have you on the podcast but going out and doing a solo 50 miler with only a 50k under your belt and and i i looked the trail up that's a pretty remote trail it's there's nothing around there there's two little towns it just seems like there's nothing I've been to a couple of the towns and I know how small they are. They're little fishing towns and that's pretty much it. So you're out there in the middle of nowhere running this 50 miler by yourself. And I was just like, 
I was super impressed. I'm not going to lie to you. I got my first buckle and I'm like, oh, I want more. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm kind of chasing buckles because I think they're cool. I wear them every day. So I just think they're really cool. So, but, and so I have a lot of respect for someone and don't get me wrong. I've gone out and done my fat ass races, you know, either by myself or with other people, but just to have the discipline to be like, you know what, I'm not going to be able to make the race, but I'm going to go out there and do this 50 miler by myself with no aid stations. Cause you had no, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had no support along the way. You, you did the whole thing by yourself, right? Uh, my, my wife was there. She wasn't with me, uh, during the majority of the run, but, um, so I'll preface all this by saying that Alaska, uh, there's big, big distances in between everything. So the ra- the trail that I ran is the Resurrection Pass Trail. I started in a town called Cooper Landing. My wife dropped me off. Uh, and I did wind up meeting with her at mile 27, 27 and change. Uh, and that was my quote unquote aid station, but my, you know, that required me to run up the resurrection trail, 10 miles gaining, I don't know how many thousands of feet and then coming down the devil's pass trail, 10 miles. So that put me right at 27. So I missed out on at least two aid stations there that would have been there during a race. Uh, and I had everything like marked out in totes and bags and everything at the truck. So she, she did meet me in the parking lot of, of devil's pass. Um, but it wasn't like I was receiving anything along the way. Yeah. And then the, the plan was after I left devil's pass parking lot, I was going to have to go back up devil's pass and then continue on the resurrection pass trail and end in a little town called hope. So my wife was going to drive from Devil's Pass to Hope, and then she was going to hop on her mountain bike with some more food and like powder, like electrolyte powder and, and goose or whatever I was using, and she was going to bike to me. Um, but I wound up not seeing her until mile 46, 47, something like that. And you we were, you were just almost at the end then, huh? Yeah, like I had a little just over ten miles to go, like ten or twelve miles to go by the, the last time I or by the time I saw her. So it was over fifty miles then. Yeah, that's also another thing. I'm pretty positive that the you know the the resurrection fifty miler is much closer to fifty miles because they don't go all the way down Devil's Pass. <laughs> so and the way I planned it out, man, that's the way it had to be. You know, she, I wasn't going to expect her to run up and meet me and then run back down to the truck and then drive and then, you know, bike up, you know, yeah. it was just, this is what I, I planned on it being. And this is what we agreed on it being. So that's, so damn it. That's what I'm sticking with. <laughs> Most of the time they say you pay for a 50 miler and you get all the extra for free, but you didn't pay for shit. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I volunteered for that. What was I thinking? That makes you more of an ultra runner than than either one of us, to be honest with you. Right. I was going to say that's super impressive running, you know, that distance, 27 miles with no, no aid. Um, That's a lot of food and water to carry. Were we able to re-up on water in the creeks or did you just carry enough water to 
make it that 27 miles? Uh, No, the 27 miles I made on, I had two liters of water and then um, two chest bottle, 18 ounce bottles on my chest. And those 18 ounce bottles on my chest, I, I use Redmond Relight and I had like a super concentrated amount of those electrolytes in the chest bottles. So, um, they helped me stay hydrated quite a bit. And actually those, that two liters of water, uh, I didn't, I ran out of water, but I ran out of water at like mile 25 and a half, you know? Wow. Um, and then the food, uh, I, I, I was using a 12 liter orange mud, um, just one of their trail running backpacks. And, uh, yeah, I had a couple of wraps, I was using salami, cheese, and mustard, and avocado wraps, a couple protein bars, and I actually ran out of food around mile 21, which worked out because I, I, you know, I came into the Devil's Creek parking lot. You know, I was hungry, but I I wasn't starving. Um, anyway, that it it made it made me a better runner, especially logistically. And then you were asking about water. I didn't bring any extra water in the truck, but I did have an ultralight water filter that whenever I took off from devil's pass again, heading back up one of the first streams that I came across, I just filtered out a couple liters of water and then kept moving. So when you met, uh, met your wife a mile 27, would you re up on, what did she have? What did you already have planned? I had more wraps. I had a couple more protein bars. And um, I'd never really, I never trained with goose or anything. And looking back on it, that might be what tore my stomach up. Was it the goose? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's a shit ton of carbs and a bunch of sugar that I didn't need or want. Oh, and I also had a peanut butter and honey sandwich. That's what I, that's another thing that I had on me. Nice. So I had the salami cheese and avocado wrap and a peanut butter and honey sandwich, a couple protein bars, and then a metric shit ton of electrolyte mix. <laughs> so uh, the did you train with goose before that, or was that your first time using an energy gel? No, that was my that was my first time using it, and I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have used it. I, I told my running coach that, that, you know, I tried a couple of goose and they just didn't sit well with my stomach. But, um, what I did use and so in, in August, so prior to my run, my wife did an Ironman and she's kind of like me. She doesn't want to use the goose. Doesn't want to be reliable on the goose. Um, so she actually found this company called, <sighs> untapped i want to say anyway it's maple syrup oh yeah maple syrup packets untapped, yeah. those are good and uh yeah it's super good so i had a couple of those and after i was out of those then i was kind of forced to use a goose but um looking back on it, i should just stuck with the untapped stuff i should have just ordered more because you can get them with and without caffeine there's some of them that are mixed with coffee super good nice energy boost and that's what i should have been using i would think all that sugar would start to wear on you after a while I mean, yes and no. I'm also, so I kind of nerded out on the, I went carnivore for a while and I nerded out on like the whole animal-based diet. And I did a lot of reading into honey and maple syrup. 
uh, honey and maple syrup will spike your blood sugar, but unlike refined sugars, unlike, you know, the artificial sweeteners or just regular old white sugar, anything yeah. that has added sugar to it. So your, your, your blood sugar levels will spike, but then they come back down to baseline extremely quick versus something that has a whole bunch of refined sugars, you know, it spikes your blood sugar and then it, your blood sugar will remain that high. And mm. whenever you, and that's why you feel the crash. You know, you, you, you don't come back down to baseline nearly as quickly. Got you. So, uh, I really try to rely on, you know, the fats and the, and well, the fat adapted stuff that I've been doing for the last year and change. And on top of that, taking in a few, a few carbs through, through the wrap and the bread and then the honey, and then just kind of supplementing it with the maple syrup. That's, that's what I should have done instead of relying on the goose whenever I was getting, getting tired with those energy gels that they affect everyone differently. So don't give up on them quite yet. Just find one that doesn't upset your stomach. Yeah. Because... I actually wound, I actually wound up taking like three shits on the trail. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the trail or off the trail. <laughs> I was, yeah. I was able to make it off the trail, but not by much. Yeah. You just made a lot of people mad shitting on the trail. <laughs> <laughs> You're not an ultra runner. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree with Robbie. Find one that works for you because they're super convenient. And, you know, when you're in a pinch, they, you know, they're real easy to take. I like spring energy. That seems to be what works really well for me. I only can handle one particular flavor of spring energy, but they they do work for me. And I know Robbie, Robbie uses something. I can't remember what he uses, but what do you use, Robbie? Uh, lately, I've been using the uh, liquid energy by Goo. So it's a gel, but it's liquid. Um, it's kind of messy, but it's you can get it out quicker. Then uh, it seems to it tastes like an Otter Pop. You know, when you don't, you have an Otter Pop that's not frozen. Mm -hmm. Have ones with caffeine also. I think the One consistency of Goo's—they're like that's what gets me as a consistency of them. They're just so freaking thick. One one of them that did work uh, at the Ironman that my wife ran, they were handing out the Roctane, Roctane goose or something, something yeah, like that. Roctane. Uh, but Roctane actually sat quite well with me, uh, but I only had like two of those. Good. That's funny because a lot of people have issues with Roctane. They call it rock gut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hammer too. I can't do hammer. Yeah, too. hammer, yeah. I don't know. Hammer makes a really good, um, like tailwind style drink. They make a pretty good one that sits okay with me. I've never used it running. I used it on a mountain bike race and it, it sat really well. And I was very pleased with it. I may try, try it. Cause I can't do tailwind. Cause to me, tailwind is just pure sugar, but I would like to find something yeah. that has a little bit of calories more than like scratch like i use scratch in my bottles but that's only like 100 calories maybe even not that i don't know but i want something with a little bit more calories that you know will also have the same you know sodium as scratch but i don't know that hammer stuff worked pretty good on the mountain bike race but riding a mountain bike and running is two different things <laughs> oh for sure <laughs> uh I, I would like to try the 
G1M Sport by uh, was it Bear Performance Nutrition? I want to try that beast, one, man. Dude, that's another, that, that's that, another that, guy that, that kind of just... another. Oh yeah, he's another inspiration of mine because he's he's the perfect, in my opinion, he's like the you know if you want to attach a term to it, the hybrid athlete. Yeah. That dude, if you look that up in the dictionary, Nick Bear's picture is going to pop up. Yeah, that dude's just extremely swole, like lifting weights all the time, and then he he's run hundred milers. I think he's run Leadville. And he's no bullshit. He tells you the truth. Yeah, exactly. I, I like his stuff. You know, there's a couple of guys out there like that. So you finished that 58 miler and you, uh, you got the bug now. I know you do. Cause you text me right after oh, that. Yeah. You're like, here's my, here's my <laughs> results. And now I'm looking at a hundred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no hundred yeah, K my... nothing in between just going straight to the hundred. No, man, straight to 100 because when I finished when I finished the 58 my wife looked at me and she said, "Would you do it again?" And immediately, without ask, like without hesitating, I said, "Yes." I don't I don't want to do that trail again because I've already done it. Like I want to do something new and something longer. Yeah. Like that 58 felt it Honestly, physically, it, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Mentally, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. So I don't think people put a lot of stock in like how mentally tough a a ultra race is. I mean, a 50K, like you run your marathon, but then you, I mean, a marathon's mentally tough, but then you have that many more miles on top of it to run a 50K than a 50 miler, 100K, 100 miler, whatever you want to the distances i don't think people that are looking from the outside in realize how yeah i mean they're physically tough but you can only train your body so much and you train your body but it's it's how do you train your mind you don't there's no such thing as training your mind you just go do it <laughs> it's true though i mean <laughs> i like that yeah there is you're right so yeah, how would you go out and prepare mentally well, I mean, guess every training run you could do that, but you're not going to be suffering depending on your training run. You know, I think you one... know what what got me was I I knew that mentally I was prepared to do this because 50 miles, like my mentality was 50 miles. Yeah, let's let's fucking do it. Let's just do it. I'm yeah. going to do you know this run. I'm going to do it. I'm going to finish, and that's the way it's going to be. Like I didn't give myself an option. But what I wasn't prepared for was that 27 mile mark where I saw my wife, I saw my truck, I saw the comforts, I saw everything. I sat down, I took care of my feet. You know how fucking hard it is to lace up your shoes? Of course you guys do, but I mean, like yeah. just, just, from, <laughs> just from somebody else that, that doesn't believe in this, you take your shoes off, you're sitting down in a chair, you're hot, you're sweaty, you're already tired. And now you got to put your fucking socks back on. You got to put your shoes back on. You got to stand your ass back up and you got to go back up the mountain. Fuck. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it gets even worse when you can't tie your shoes and someone else has to tie them for you. <laughs> <laughs> put your socks back on. <laughs> That's I haven't been there yet. I haven't been there yet, but I just anticipated wait. that happening yeah, at some just point. Wait. 
But I mean, the, yeah, mentally that was the hardest thing that I've ever done because, uh, I started my 10 mile climb back up devil's pass and I had a mileage in my head and I, you know, a shameless plug from my podcast. Like I, I did a 50, my 58 mile recap and, but I'll reiterate this, man. I had a mileage in my head. I, it wasn't 58 miles. It was actually less than 58. I anticipated 52. So I get back up to the top of devil's pass, anticipating that I got 15 miles to go. Cause I'm at mile 37. Now I anticipated 15 miles and this stupid fucking trail marker says 21 miles. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god are you serious like you're adding on six miles to what you thought it was and you know to anybody that hasn't ever done this you're like what you're already doing 52 what's six more like morale was low buddy that morale could be three hours low. <laughs> yeah right yeah luckily i i was back on top of the pass i wasn't of course there's going to be rolling hills up and down but for the most part for the next 21 miles i'm going downhill but still, uh, uh, I think the hardest part was probably mile 42. That I distinctly remember mile 42 because my stomach wasn't sitting right. Uh, I wasn't hungry, yet I knew I needed fuel. I, you know, just whatever I could force down my stomach. Uh, even water, water wasn't great. The red and relight wasn't great. Nothing was great. And that was my mental low point. It was mile 42. And another reason it was low is because I knew that my wife was biking to me. I mean, and weird thoughts come in your head, you know, she's alone in bear country on a mountain bike. You know, I know that there's big bears out there. I hunt bears out there. There's nine foot brown bears right off the trail. I know there are because I've seen them. And whenever you're 42 miles into a run that you have, I could count on one hand how many other people I had seen, like weird things play out in your head, you know? Like, oh man, you know, is, is my wife okay? I'm not worried about me at this point. I just got to keep moving forward because I need to get to her as quickly as possible because if something does happen, I'm never going to forgive myself. You know, it's just one of those weird things that would never pop into my head at any other point but I'm 42 miles in and I'm, I've been expecting to see her for the last 45 minutes. And maybe that was unrealistic given the pace that I was going at, but weird things pop into your head, weird situations that you would never even think about. Yeah. Was bears ever a concern going into it or during the race where you always kind of on edge or did you just not really worry about it? I don't, I don't worry about it personally. Um, I've run into bears on trails shit right after breakup. I was on a trail run right outside of Anchorage and 40 yards from me. I spooked up a, a brown bear. Didn't see him until he was running across the, the trail in front of me. So do they I usually really... just run away from you or. Yeah. Yeah. I've never had one come close. Cause they're curious. I have had a black bear try to climb the same tree that I'm in, but brown bears are always heading away from you. Okay. Um, so, you know, I know that there's big brown bears out there and I'd only seen actually like two or three piles of bear scat on the trail. So bears were never even a concern for me. My wife, on the other hand, whenever I took off from the trip like at the trailhead at five in the morning, it was 
pitch black dark and she she had her reservations about me taking off in the dark in bear country but i never <laughs> worried about it yeah so what mileage does she meet you at 40 46 okay 47 yeah, yeah you had mentioned it before i just couldn't remember yeah and so it she was rode mile the last... 42 where i it was mile 42 where i started to get the the oh shit thoughts you know yeah so she rode the last 10 miles with you essentially yes yeah and she she actually had food and stuff on her good she she came up in a backpack so i didn't have to take nearly as much uh fuel for myself leaving devils to go back up so that was nice she met back up with me and i had another that was kind of my saving grace like i said mile 42s whenever like nothing tasted good nothing was really working out for me and then i saw her about mile 46 and she had a peanut butter and honey sandwich and i finally was able to get half of that down it tasted great so spirits were instantly lifted whenever i saw her and got some good food in me yeah that's i was awesome. just gonna ask that question how did how did your uh mental capacity change once you met up with your wife man um it's just one of those deals where like she looked at me she said oh you look exhausted i, I just smiled and said well, i'm i am so fucking happy to see you <laughs> <laughs> it's like smile fake it till you make it <laughs> oh yeah for sure <laughs> were those last miles with her enjoyable man they were because they were on a section of the trail that i'd never been on i've hunted in that area but i hadn't gone up the trail as far as that so uh seeing all brand new country the fall colors were out and she was having a blast she's she's a big time you know mountain biker so she's she's kind of like behind me filming taking pictures and she blow past me and go down the trail a little ways and take pictures of me running towards her, and she come back up and meet me up it was it was a blast just being out there and enjoying the trail with her because once she got there uh like i said morale picked up immensely and it started it, it got really fun the last 12 miles were, were a lot of fun that's cool so like you had your unofficial pacer <laughs> yeah and luckily she agreed to do it again she just wants to go out of state for for the next one so that was about to be my next question what what, what do you got next on the docks dude I, i'm gonna try my damnedest to to swing it but if i get the time off and there's a decent chance i'll get it off i want to do the zion 100 that was my first hundred what are your thoughts on it it's awesome it's lots of uh sandstone slick rock but it's amazing the views are something else my biggest concern with that is i've never done any long run at elevation like that and i'm not worried about like pulmonary edema or anything but you know uh I, me running uh a 8 30 or a nine minute pace here at sea level is going to feel way different than running 8 30 or nine minute up at 5500 feet yeah if the only running... advice i can give for that is to try to go to sleep high uh-huh you know since you're already training low, just go. If you can, you know, get up to eight or nine thousand feet, just go up there and sleep a couple of days. That really helps. Yeah. 
I also don't suggest running an 830 mile and a hundred miler either. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah. Uh, if you start doing I that, then, unless it's like the last five miles when you're coming in, that's acceptable. But even then, yeah. No, it's probably closer to a 1830 or a 19 minute mile. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yep. <laughs> now you're getting realistic. Sometimes you got those 30 minute miles. Man, I had a couple. I had a couple of twenty-minute miles on the on the Resurrection Trail, and you know, you kind of zone out. Then next thing you know, you look down at your watch. And, you know, whenever it vibrates, it's like you're, you know, your pace was nineteen fifty-seven. Like, oh well, shit. <laughs> That's impressive. You didn't have any thirty-minute miles. I'm, I'm pretty stoked. <laughs> I, I did, but uh, I didn't stop the clock for whenever I was shitting off the trail. So, oh yeah. <laughs> I always make fun of people like you can always tell who is the road runner on their first trail run because they stop their watch. Cause I, I don't know. It just oh, seems yeah. like when you're in a trail runner, like you don't stop your watch. You just let it go. When I go run road, yeah. I just like, let it go. I'll stop and talk to people or wait at a, a light. I'll just keep it running. Cause I don't, uh, yeah. I, don't I don't care. My pace Hello, sucks people, anyways. What does the... it matter? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the people that get the stoplights and they keep jogging in place yeah okay i'm i'm gonna stop <laughs> like, yeah i get a break <laughs> <laughs> when you run down the road there's no heels <laughs> you have like you have to run the whole time i, I don't i walk i don't care it's like oh this right. will be my walk break so yeah, we always ask a uh we always ask a couple questions once we start trying to wrap it up a little bit so talk to us on gear man what kind of gear are you using when you're running so, uh, I'm not loyal to any brand of shoe. I guess I'll start at the bottom and work my way up. I'm not, I'm not loyal to any brand of shoe. The 50 K I did in new balances, 50 miler. I did, I was using ultra. I've been hesitant on using a zero drop shoe because, uh, I did have a Achilles injury a while back, but I jump back in the ultras and they're doing fantastic. So right now I'm in ultra socks. I use exoskin. Yeah. Same. I love them after dude, after this, after the 50 miler, especially I knew they were good stuff, but after the 50 miler, I just, there is nothing else that I want to put on my feet, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and to include, uh, using for hunting and backcountry skiing this year. So, uh, I will be using exoskin for every outdoor activity that I use, that I'm going on for the foreseeable future. Yeah. I like their socks. I have a couple pair and I've had them for years. Uh, I made the mistake of drying them. So they, they do shrink after a while when you dry them. So don't, don't dry them, but yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're phenomenal. I just, I need to replace them, but, and I have a pair of their shorts as well. I really like their shorts too. Yeah, and the the compression shorts I was using are also Exoskin. I recently had Croy from Exoskin on my podcast, uh, and we talked about their gear and how it, they kind of set themselves apart and the technology that these guys are integrating into their fabrics is hands down the most advanced stuff you're going to find on the market. Uh, I'm a firm believer, and quite frankly, if it doesn't work for me i don't use it so the fact that i'm actually throwing them out there you know 
says to me it says, it says a lot because I've tested a lot of gear in the backcountry and I stand by what I use. So Exoskin will be going with me on every outing for the foreseeable future. Yeah, they're they're great. So working your way um, using shirts, pack. Hey, you cut out there. What's up? Oh, I said, uh, what what shirts, pack? I guess you already talked about your pack a little bit. Yeah, shirts, man. I <laughs> I use my old army PT shirt. <laughs> <laughs> the one that says uh, army across. Uh, well, it's, it says third ranger battalion, like right on the chest of it. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. We're gonna have to get you into some better material, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm actually like, I'm gonna be getting another set of exoskin like compression pants for for using in the winter and i might i think i'm just going to go ahead and pull the trigger on a couple of their shirts too so yeah rabbit um, makes some really good shirts too that are i mean they're butter they have they have super cool cool shirts so maybe we'll look at those guys as yeah. well yeah yeah i've heard good stuff good things about their stuff so i'm willing to give it a try um shorts actually I, I started running in uh 10,000 shorts i don't know how well they're gonna hold up but they didn't they haven't given me any problems so far a brand that i found that um i i wear other shorts but the shorts that i particularly wear pretty much all the time and in all my ultras for the most part um is path projects and they're kind of in the same line as exoskin um, I would put them up there with the, you know, material wise, they're phenomenal. The, their customer service, everything, um, look into path projects for your, for shorts. They're, um, amazing. They, and they kind of just have done everything that everyone asks. Like I want a pocket that my iPhone 14 pro max can fit in. Well, exoskin was like, or uh, path projects was like, yeah, we'll make it for you. I, you get them wet, they dry. It's it, they just make a phenomenal short. So if you're looking for a a short, and then they also have a pant for the winter as well as uh, Path Projects. I'm not paid by Path Projects. I've just, like you said, I I like I like their brands, and that's who I wear. So, but yeah, look yeah, into Path. And, they, yeah, they make I'm great not paid, stuff. And I'm not paid by anybody that I'm talking about either. But the it, ten thousand. If anybody shorts, wants to give me some free stuff, I'm always willing to take it and try it. <laughs> we'll i'll be your uh, i'll be your gear tester <laughs> yeah there you go i'll test your gear <laughs> <laughs> um yeah the ten thousand distance shorts i was turned on to that by mark bottenhorn um and they, they did they did great they're still holding up pretty pretty well I did want to get some path project stuff uh i told myself after i got more Sorry, my dogs back here being loud. I <laughs> told myself after I'd, you know, get rid of some other stuff that's wearing out that I would give Path a, a try. So I got some stuff that's kind of on the fritz. It's on it's on the verge of being tossed. So yeah. Um and then the pack, yeah. My my backpack, I use orange mud. I, I have two orange mud. Well, I have their vest, and then I have their um 12 liter backpack. Um, I've used, I use the backpack for the 50 miler and the 50 K it's great. Whenever you need to have more stuff on yeah. you than what you would, that what can just, you can just stuff into a, 
you know, into a vest. I love the 12 liter. I have a Solomon pack at 12 liter and it's phenomenal. I, I switched to Solomon this year and I now have two Solomon packs. One was given to me and of course I bought the other one, but well, not given to me by Solomon, but it was a gift. Um, I, I swear by Solomon, those guys make some phenomenal packs. I don't know. Like I had a Nathan and I love Nathan. It's just when you put on a Solomon pack and you like, you get it cinched down and Robbie wears a Solomon as well. He can kind of attest to this, but it's just like, it feels like it's part of you. And so that that's, yeah. I don't know. It, I, Robbie, am I speaking Spanish here? Or is that, is that honest? Like, no, kind of what you no, feel you're too. right. I, I tried, I tried ultimate direction, ultra spire. I tried them all. Then finally, when I put the Solomon on, it'll never be a non-Solomon. Yeah. Unless killing gives me a normal Ooh. pack to try out. A normal pack. I tried to try them shoes out. Those are sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I'm not, I'm not against trying Solomon. I just, uh, the orange mud fits really well for yeah. me. Cause I see and I, here's one of my issues with, you know, the running community in general. Um, I had this thing called, uh, muscles. Mm. I can <laughs> bench press more than my body weight. Oh yeah. We don't know what it's so, like. Well, I mean, like, seriously, I'm 210 pounds. I'm not the, the typical runner. Yeah. So finding gear for me is actually a big deal. So whenever I found orange mud and they their shit fit me, oh, guess what? That's what I'm using. Yeah. Yeah, you got to use what works. Yeah, and Solomon shoes. I used to wear Solomon shoes all the time, and I don't know if my feet changed or or what, but, dude, I, I, I've, this is my second pair. Sorry, my third pair of Ultra, and uh, I tried to, like, Solomon just came out with, what, like the Sense Ride 4 or something? Yeah, a couple years ago. Well, whatever one's brand new this year. Oh, okay. It's not Speed Cross. It's their other. It's their other trail shoe. Yeah, I think it's their Ultra Glide. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I tried those on. I can't. I can't do it. Yeah. I just can't do it. And like I said, maybe it's my feet. Maybe I was just never meant to be in Solomon, and I was just stuffing my shoes in these Speed Cross or stuffing my feet in these Speed Cross because they look cool. I don't know. I do buy a lot of shoes based on look. Yeah, well, that's the first rule is you always got to look cool. Yeah. <laughs> the brighter the shoe, the faster you run. So that's why I go to the highlighter yellow ones. I, I was just going to say, that. Justin says the most colors you wear, the, you're a winner. Yep. <laughs> I, that's the one thing that drives me crazy about the running community is we have all of these companies out here and they make the same four colors. And I'm like, come on, guys, like, can you not make a bright colored shirt, a bright colored shorts, shoes? They're coming around. Um, I really like Brooks for their colors. Their color, Brooks's colorways are amazing. I like, you know, I wear. I'm not. When I say I'm not a loyalist to shoes, I will wear everything. I don't like running in zero drop. I've had a lot of issues, but I wear zero drop shoes daily as a walk around shoe. I will wear them. All, yeah, I'm wearing them right now. And so walking around, I wear, I wear zero drop and it sounds stupid, but then I'll run in Brooks. I'll run in Saucony. I'll run in, uh, I'm looking over at my shoe collection. I'll run in Adidas. Um, I just ordered some ice bugs. You know, I, I run them 
everything. I don't, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I, I have a certain style of shoe that works for me and I have a certain drop that works for me. But if you meet those parameters, then I'll run in your shoe, but I want a bright colored shoe. I want a, <laughs> when I went, when I went and ordered some ice bugs, I went to the store in Fairbanks and they had black. And I was like, do you guys have any other colors? And she's like, no, but we have some coming in. And I was like, okay. So I bought some, but they're not getting here till December, but they're bright blue. And I'm like, okay, that works for me. Bright blue and orange. But yeah, like all these companies, <laughs> my they, new. they make a, a green. Yeah. Look at those. Those, pretty. those are awesome. <laughs> they make a, they make a drab green. They make a, uh, a your typical blue, a black. I don't know. I'm sure there's another color that's boring that everybody makes. I'm like, I just want to wear bright colors. That's what I want to do. So I kind of just steer my, I mean, look at the shirt I'm wearing right now. It's super bright. You can't really see it, but it's just a super bright colored blue. It's a butter shirt. Um, you know, it's, that's one thing that I have corals about with this running community is make some bright colors. Like let's have fun with our life, but I don't know. I was running here on base the other day and I was getting these, all these looks cause I'm wearing a, a hat that the front of it is bright orange, like safety orange. The back of it is like a bluish green teal color. I'm wearing a neon green long sleeve shirt. My shorts are like <laughs> stupid color. Cause they're, I, I love Pat, but Pat doesn't like colors. So they're just drab colors. Um, and then I have Brooks, I don't know. They're like launch nines or something, but they're like bright orange. And, and then I have my pack on that's bright red. So I just was like getting all these looks like, what is this guy? What is he doing? Is like, what is he running from? Is he trying to get seen or something? Like, I don't know. It's the middle of the day, but come on guys, have fun with life. Wear some bright colors. Right. Nah, dude, you gotta be tactical. Tactical. <laughs> well, uh, who, who should we have on our podcast in your opinion? Like somebody that you suggest that we should have on our, our podcast. We're trying to diversify our portfolio, I guess you could say. It doesn't have to be running-based, doesn't have to be hunting-based. Somebody who's just gone out and done a cool adventure. Honestly, your wife sounds like a badass. I think it right. maybe we want to have her on. She's Man, if I could get her on my show first. <laughs> well, she doesn't want to come on your show because it's just like, y'all just be talking, right? you know. But we got to have her on our show. Yeah, maybe she'd be more inclined to not talk to me. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> she talks to you every day. <laughs> uh, who should you have? You know, the guy that comes to mind first is a guy named Greg McHale. Uh, Greg is a sheep hunter. He has, well, he has a show on, uh, I want to say it's the Sportsman's Channel. Anyway, it's called Greg McHale's Wild Yukon. Uh, you can find all of his stuff on YouTube, but he is a hardcore sheep hunter. His wife is an ultra runner. Um, and Greg and his wife, their athletic careers began uh, in adventure racing, where they're doing these several hundred mile <clears throat> movements, running, paddling, uh, climbing. He's done a bunch of big mountain stuff. Um and go on and I'm, I'm if greg if you listen to this i'm dude i'm i love your stuff even still i had him on my podcast about a year ago and it's, it's a phenomenal guy but uh go on youtube and there's a two-part sheep hunting video that he has and it's called from ultra runner to sheep hunter 
So he is also a pilot. He drops their camp about 70 kilometers from where they're starting. So he and his wife take off on a 70 kilometer run and they have to track down their tent and all their food and the sheep hunt starts from there. That's awesome. Um, and he's also done, I forget the name of the race, but it's dead of winter in the Yukon. It's 430 miles. And he won that, set the course record. Um, he's the epitome. Him and Cameron Haynes are the epitome of endurance athletes that are also hunters. And yeah. those are the guys that I truly look look up to. So if you could shoot for Greg McHale, give him a shout out. He's like I said, he's a phenomenal guy, and he loves he loves talking about uh, talk. He loves talking hunting and running with dudes, especially from Alaska. So, um, that's the first guy that comes to mind. Uh, another guy that I look up to as far as the ultra running world. I do. I you you can't discount Mike McKnight. Yeah, the dude's the dude's an animal winning the triple crown and and then getting the fastest known time on the Colorado Trail. Like, fuck, man, what can't that guy do? He Isn't was he out. going for the Arizona Trail FK two too? Yeah, it's what him and uh, they're doing a head to head. Oh God, I'm blanking on the other guy's name. Oh, I didn't know they was doing a head to head. I it's think coming up, I, isn't it? This month or next month? Uh, yeah, I, I think guess today is the last month. This day of September. So I think, yeah, I think it's next week is whenever they start. Yeah, he's he's trying to do an FKT on the Arizona Trail. Um, he was out there with Cam Haynes at that race we were at. Yeah, I saw he was pacing them. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he was out there. I think I, I would want to talk to Mike McKnight because he is the he is like the fat adapted athlete. Yeah. I think one of his most impressive accomplishments, you know, the FKT and winning the triple crown and all that, that's, uh, I'm not trying to discount that. Uh, he deserves that. He, he works damn hard, but one of the more impressive feats that he's done in my book is he did that 24 hour run on zero calories. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, that, if that isn't a testament to what fat adaption can do for a human body, I don't know what else. I don't. I don't know what other argument you need to hear. No, it's, it's super impressive, and I've I kind of followed along on that story as well. It's it's incredible what you know what he's able to do with little to nothing. I think he was just using salt and water the whole time. Yeah, he was just replacing electrolytes. Not a single calorie was was brought in. Yeah, it's insane. Well, cool, man. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Like we've had a great time listening to your stories, uh, but we'll give you a little bit of a couple minutes to to shout out. This is your time to to plug whatever you want to plug. I know you have a a great podcast that I've also been a guest on. So um, plug away, man. Again, thanks for having me on. I I really enjoyed it. It's, it is different being on this side of the the interview. <laughs> but I, I had a good time doing it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on all platforms. You can find the salty hunter podcast. Uh, you can definitely tell if you start from episode one, you can tell that I wasn't 
serious about running then and then you, you will definitely see this hard transition to like oh shit gary's training for an ultra now because that's kind of <laughs> all i talk about you know an ultra runner a crossfitter and a vegan walking to a bar <laughs> how do you know oh they're gonna tell you um so <laughs> but you that's know I, i'm starting to develop this uh this theme like i want to blend older running and hunting cam haynes has done it greg McHale's done it i'm trying to do it for guys that aren't already established i'm trying to find these similarities and really just get a story find an adventure and if the harder the adventure the better the story and that's what i want to hear so for sure so salty hunter podcast i'm the salty hunter on instagram it feels weird like you know blasting myself out there like this but <laughs> anyway you're usually giving up the other people the opportunity to blast I know, yeah <laughs> <laughs> we got to put you out of your element every once in a while you're an ultra runner now you, you should be used to right yeah well if I, i'll leave people with this as well like if you're even thinking if you're listening to this podcast obviously you're interested in it just try it go try it and the hardest thing that you could do right now is to go for a run farther than you've ever gone and that will lead into a longer run then a longer run then a longer run next thing you know you're going to be you know signing up with ultra coaches and paying paying money for torture and you're going to enjoy it yeah i was about to say next thing you know you have about ten thousand dollars worth of gear and you're still just as terrible as you were the first time you ran. <laughs> <laughs> you might have been able all to the go memories you distances, have. but your 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 runs are still just as awful. Hey, if you are listening to this and you're interested in running, uh, and your first mile sucks, your second mile gets better. Just know that after you've run all these long distance races, your first mile still sucks. So that doesn't get any better. <laughs> you thought I was going to plug somebody or something. No, I wasn't. I was just gonna let you know it still sucks. So, well, Hey man, thanks for coming on. Uh, I enjoyed your story. I, I definitely, I say this every time, but we scratch the surface and we'll definitely have to have you back on. Um, it looks like you got a lot of great adventures coming up down the line and I definitely want to hear about them. When you run your hundred miler, we're going to have you back on man, for sure. Cause I want to hear that story so yeah for sure thanks for coming on the uh golden hour adventure podcast and thanks for having me man i had a blast yeah guess what the salty hunter is out <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening this podcast has been produced and edited by backbeat sound come and find us on instagram at backbeat sound 1776 or email us at backbeatsound1776 at gmail.com. <laughs>